This is the Instant Speed Podcast brought to you by Red Riot Games. You can get a look at what Red Riot Games has to offer using the link in the description of this video or podcast. Now, before we get to our first guest being Stephen Cookus, aka DM Armada, I got to bring you the facts, ladies and gentlemen, because, well, the calling in Las Vegas was a while ago and the calling in Dallas Fort Worth is all wrapped up. Yes, big congratulations to Nam Vo piloting Oldham so masterfully and winning the calling in Dallas Fort Worth. Now, the skirmish season is also around the corner. That is happening right after national season is going to wrap up. So, November 13th to December 5th is when that is kicking off and when that skirmish season will be happening. A cold foil Aria hero uh, is going to be up for grabs, one of each. So, you got Razor Reflex as your playmat of choice, an extended art invigorate rainbow foil edition, also up for grabs. So take a look at the schedule, go check out your LGS, see where the skirmishes are happening in your area. Also, keep your eyes peeled because uh, on the TCG, the FabTCG website, fabtcg.com, if you go past the upcoming expansions page, you will find that there's this blank mysterious space saying TBA to be announced. Q1 of 2022. So they're already sort of keeping the real estate on the page open because there is new uh, product coming out uh, in Q1. So I don't know, January, February, who knows? But uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. It is coming soon. And finally, if you want to get brushed up on the rules, well, the rules reprise part three is available on the FabTCG website dig into more of like the oddities, a little bit of the rules that are maybe not so clear for you, uh, especially with the new cards coming out. Frost tokens, this, on hit effects, uh, you know, shock charmers, this, that, blah, 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 blah. Lots of things that may seem a little bit murky. You can clear them up by go checking uh, checking out that article on fabtcg.com. But uh, you know what is not murky? I'm trying to think of a good segue here. Either way, it's our first guest of the day, our only guest of the day, frankly. It is Stephen Cookus, a.k.a. DM Armada, joins us on the Instant Speed Podcast. The Instant Speed Podcast is happy to welcome the caster from The Calling in Las Vegas, as well as most recently in Dallas, Fort Worth. He provides heaps of great flesh and blood content on his YouTube channel, and uh, as well as the host and commentator of the Dice Masters World Championships in 2019. Welcome, Stephen Cookus, a.k.a. DM Armada. Nice to have you on the show. Hello, it's great to be here. I'm glad I'm here with you. Well, thank you so much. It, again, we have had such excellent guests on the show. I'm very lucky, uh, and the, the 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 hits keep on coming. And uh, you are no slouch here. Now, you have been uh, already establishing yourself as just an excellent caster uh, for Flesh and Blood here at the Calling events. Uh, major events for Flesh and Blood are kind of I don't want to say few and far between, but there's not many to be had. Uh, they're kind of coming hot and heavy now. But mm -hmm. uh, you are you are kind of like firmly embedding yourself as like, hey, I am the guy. And I'm just curious, prior to Flesh and Blood, I want to hear a little bit more about DM Armada's origin story. What brought you sure. to Flesh and Blood and how'd you get there? Okay, um, so I've been playing card games for a long time. I think I think like a lot of people around my age in that like 30s range, um, I did the Pokemon thing when it was, you know, like just coming out. I collected Pokemon cards. I like pretended to know the rules of Pokemon and played them. You know what I mean? Like where you put a Pokemon down and then just kind of say what happens. I did that. Right. 
And then after that, I did the, uh, I even collected, like thinking back, I think I even collected Digimon, like the original Digimon cards. Those were good times. I played uh, Yu-Gi-Oh a little bit, messed around with that. I, I did dabble in Magic the Gathering, but never paper, which is kind of weird. I played like Magic the Gathering, Duels of the Planeswalkers. I feel like anybody remembers like those games existing. I played like, it was a computer thing. Uh, and then I got into Dice Masters. Dice Masters, a fantastic strategy game, which is like a combination of cards and dice. And that's when I just like was totally sold out on strategy card games, stuff like that. And uh, I've been making YouTube content for that game and then moved into uh, making content for Flesh and Blood as well. And I've been just pumping out tons of content for that because I just fell in love with Flesh and Blood. Um, I actually jumped into Flesh and Blood maybe a couple of weeks before the game came out, which is kind of weird. I was I was sitting in my bed and I was scrolling on Facebook mindlessly like you do after going to work. And I was just scrolling past things. And, you know, Facebook ads were were kind of big. I guess they still are, but they were starting to get big at the time. People just putting ads all over the place. And I scrolled past an ad for a card game and there was a picture of a female warrior and I was like, wait a minute, I had scrolled back up to the ad because I thought the art looked really cool. And so I clicked the ad, which is something generally you probably don't want to do oh, on Facebook. No. Mark don't Zuckerberg now knows where you live. They now know like everything about me. So I clicked the Facebook ad anyway because the art looked really good and it took me to a website for a game called Flesh and Blood. And I read like, uh, you know, about the game. It was like this new classic trading card game. And I was like, wow, that's audacious calling yours, your game, the new classic trading card game. And I scrolled down. I was like, it's a hero centric card game. That seems interesting. Kind of reminds me of Hearthstone in a way, um, which I, you know, played a ton and, and kind of play a little bit still. Uh, and uh, I was like, oh, this is a game made by people from New Zealand. That's interesting. And then I scrolled a little further and I saw they are hosting two $10,000 tournaments like the game's about to it's not even released yet. And they're going to host like within the first month, a $10,000 tournament, like two hours from my house. And I was like, this is incredibly audacious and I need to know more about the game. So when the game actually released, I uh, found one of the stores that was uh, planning on selling it. I drove out there. It's a store local to me still called Reaper Game Store. And uh, I talked to the owner of the store and, and to the store like employees and they were like yeah we've been playing this game for like a month now it's it's we've been doing like pre-release stuff for it and i was like that sounds amazing so i picked up packs and i picked up um, the hero decks and i kind of like messed around with them and i started to fall in love with the mechanics of the game and the art of the game is what pulled me in and then i learned about like the the values of the game itself and the and the game creators and i was 100 percent sold from that point on and i have been until now, I mean, still, obviously, to this day. So that's kind of where I came into the game of Flesh and Blood and why I've been uh, making content for it this this whole time, because it's a fantastic game made for fantastic people like you and me and uh, made by a fantastic company that cares about, you know, the game and its players. So that's me. And that's how I got here. That's one of the most RNG heavy kind of uh, just haphazard. Uh, you know, I was on Facebook scrolling as you do, and that's basically how it happened. And it's, you know, it, I don't it, it, it's all Mark Zuckerberg's spy net. And he just I guess he just knew based on what you're into and the fact that you actually took the chance on clicking that like that's that, that could have been anything. I mean, obviously, you likely would have found out about it down the line, but just the timing of it. Right. Seemed like it was just perfect. 
Yeah, it was. It was it was very much a Providence thing. And uh, I am thankful for it because uh, I've had a, an absolute blast for the uh, past couple of years as the uh, game has exploded and then exploded and then exploded. It's like more people need to know about the game. And oh, would you look at that? More people do. So that's been a, a good time. Yeah, and you're one of the few people who have actually been there, I mean, from the ground floor uh, that I've spoken to on this show. A lot of the guests on the show have kind of been in the same um, sphere as I have, which is, you know, we've heard about it in the periphery, and we did not delve mm. into it until somebody essentially dragged us kicking and screaming, because... Um, <laughs> Like for for yourself and from for me, I mean, you and I are are, are, are akin in the sense that we've been playing for years. Uh, I've been playing card games for 22, 23 years um, uh, since I was thirteen. Was when I first picked up a card game, and that point onward, it's like there comes to a point where I'm like, I'm so invested in all this other stuff. Like, do I even have room to? to digest a new rule set and in my head mm. the reason why i gave it a go was you know i watched somebody play it and they kind of walked me through the rule set and i was immediately ready to like i wanted to get into it because i was like this is just going to be like any other you know two heroes both have life totals you're just going to attack defend you're going to put stuff on the board they're going to they're going to butt heads and whatever's left when the dust settles is is what's there but this is completely different and yeah. i'm i'm glad that you mentioned this because again you said that it's it's like the the not necessarily the marching orders of the creators of this game but like the mantra that they that they have essentially dug into that no this is a card game this is a flesh and blood you know it's in the name it is what it is we want people to connect and get that feeling and just mm -hmm. from the 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 watching you know the the games that you have casted it's it's such a different flavor than the digital media that's out there i find that there's just so much mm. more to take in when you're watching uh, and this is no slight on, on any of the broadcasts, but a lot of the times, for instance, you yourself are kind of on the broadcast booth. You're, you are, are you not kind of in the, in the dark about what certain players are holding in their hands? Um, uh, yes, there's, there's excitement there. Certainly. I, we, we can kind of guess based on play lines, of course, you know, how it kind of all plays out what people might have, but yeah, we're, we're right there in the thick of it as well. And yes, if they're physically holding the cards and you can kind of see what's in their hand, uh, you can kind of know what might come down the line. But even just knowing a few pieces of infor information makes it that much more exciting when we actually see the like play line that a player chooses. And then we can talk about why that's interesting or, you know, other possible lines they could have chosen or why did they make that decision in that moment? And so the the physical act of playing the card game uh, is, you know, incredibly exciting. It's not it's not exclusive to flesh and blood. Right. I mean, there's there's always been paper tournaments and the uh, coverage for paper tournaments has, you know, always sort of been there for some of these like larger scale games but it's to me it's so uh it's it's so like you said the marching order for flesh and blood like it, they want lss wants people playing the game physically together you know against each other and with each other and uh because they make it sort of a core tenet of their game uh they've designed a game that plays really well in front of someone else with someone else physically in the flesh and blood one thing i've noticed is even like in my own games or witnessing other games there's a lot of times where there's just chatter of of somebody just kind of you've probably you've probably experienced this in multiple card games where you're playing against someone you have a a, a mind like you, you have your set 
plays in mind you have your game plan and you do something and somebody's like what the hell are they doing or like why that's stupid or whatever but there's so much uh you know minutia to the game of terms of sequencing and this and the you know the margins and whatnot that sometimes you can be surprised sometimes the bluffing the elements of you know how you how you sit there and not necessarily insta play a card how you slow play mm. the that's what the the extra layers are the intangibles of, of this game that i really like i mean you could talk about um the the rule set you could talk about the heroes the lore um the mechanics of the game but it's all those intangibles like the real like the reality of what momentum represents in this game mm. tempo it's it's a whole different feeling it really is. I mean, it's a it's a game unique to itself. It shares a lot of similarities to a lot of games that have preceded it. Um, there's there's a ton of like resources. If you're curious about like the differences and, you know, connections that Flesh and Blood has as its own card game to other card games that are around there, there's a ton of different, uh, you know, videos or articles that you can read on those connections. Uh, but it brings them all fundamentally in such an interesting and uh, unique way that allows you to kind of dive deeper and deeper every time you play it. And I think that is one of the most exciting things. The, the more you play the game and the more you think about the game, the more you find like this one little thing that's unique uh, and like really deep. And then you find another one and another one. And that's really, really fun about Flesh and Blood. Yeah, there's always some extra layer that you're peeling back and be like, oh, I didn't even think of this, that that, that, that this was relevant or important or whatnot. Um, yeah. Casting Vegas and then casting Dallas. Uh, now, Vegas came with, uh, it seemed like the, the perfect storm. You have the first major card event since this entire COVID catastrophe, right? You have this yeah. uh, brand new game that's shiny and new and, and it's wonderful and everybody's fascinated by it. It's in Vegas where it's just sparkles and shine everywhere. Like everything was just this perfect storm for that to succeed. And it did. And it, it in a lot of cases, it exceeded people's expectations. And then you go, there's a little bit of a lull. I mean, there's new, but new cards come out and suddenly the calling Dallas comes out. And I've, I had this discussion with um, you know, previous guests about, I think it was with Tan and Grace, Tannen and I were talking about what Cincinnati might look like, what Dallas might look like in terms of, of what this is. Is it going to be more, less, the same? What was the feel of Dallas versus Vegas? Well, I think you described it perfectly. I, I think when you, when you set up a, you know, like a tournament structure or a tournament circuit, if you will, with multiple tournaments, you know, maybe within two months or something like that, like we've, ha like we have here, the first one, putting it in Vegas and especially putting it the first one, um, you know, that where people can really come together as a community um, and on a very large scale. It, it made sense that that was going to be the biggest, uh, you know, event. And it was it was very to me, it was very evident that it was going to be successful. Like it was very evident that it was going to that it was going to work, that they were going to pull it off. And they did to no surprise in in my opinion i expected it to be heavily attended and i expected uh, a lot of people to be playing constantly and that was that was the case now when you follow that with uh two tournaments that are in um dallas fort worth which is a very large hub surprisingly for the game like here i am i'm actually living in dallas fort worth this is where i live and uh i can go to 
any location or I could pick a day, I should say it that way. And I can go to a location and play flesh and blood. And if I wanted to, I could drive down to Houston and play flesh and blood or to San Antonio or to pick a, pick a city in uh, Texas, or I could drive up to Oklahoma and play flesh and blood. I expected this one to be well attended as well. And I, I was kind of hovering around, um, you know, like I think 400 people I was expecting, like in the main event, 400 would be a good number. And then it hit 500 and I was like, sweet. That was my, that was my number one. I really hope it hits 500. That would be like pie in the sky guess, because I don't think you're ever going to hit that 900 plus, um, you know, number right after, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, there's, there's, I don't want to call it the fact that, you know, the luster is gone. Uh, you know, there was a little bit of, of discussion that Tanner and I had where we're saying, well, like, maybe people are seeing that the game is alive and well. They see how, you know, well it was executed at that calling, and maybe that'll entice more people to go to more events. You know, obviously, it, the 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 renewed interest or the the expanded interest that the game would have may negate the fact that less people would go because of location because of the fact that it's the second and not the first mm. and and that kind of thing so i uh, my biggest fear frankly was the fact that i i like i'm i like yourself i'm so invested in this game i am so on board with it i love it i play it i'm all about it I was just crossing my fingers that this was not going to be a situation where it's like, okay, there's like 130 people that signed up, you know, uh, because right. nobody wants to go to Dallas or nobody's interested in or nobody likes the new cards. I thought that if there could be a situation that was somewhere on the same tier as Vegas, that would be great. And I'm, I'm glad that the crowd size was what it was. But does this kind of put pressure now on Cincinnati to keep this up? Or is Cincinnati kind of off the hook uh, in the sense of it's like, all right, I'm third in line. Like, I, I don't need to impress anybody. I think that one, if I had to pick one of one of the two options, I think I don't think you need to look at the attendance for Cincinnati and say, oh, no, we're on the decline if it goes down or say, oh, Cincinnati's way better than Dallas if it goes up. I, I think in my opinion, it was going to play out like this. Vegas was going to be huge. Um, the two limited callings, which are happening in two um, good locations, but not like super flashy locations, are going to be fairly well attended. And I think we saw that for um, DFW. And I was really happy with the attendance. I think it ended up hovering around like five to six hundred people in the event, which was perfect for the venue. It was perfect for, um, you know, the, the type of play. There were people just literally playing sealed all weekend and just played side events the whole time. I talked to um, literally a, a husband and wife couple and they were like, yeah, we um, we literally just came to play side events all weekend this week. It's like, cool. I mean, you do you, man. Um, and so those two being like fairly well attended and just solid events for people to enjoy in those regions. And then I very much and I don't know about you, but I very much expect uh, Orlando to be huge. So, uh, spoiler, I will be in Orlando, and that's going to be huge. And I'm yeah. so glad to hear that you are have high hopes for Orlando. Of course, it's Nationals. I mean, that's one thing to say. Um, and it's going to be another big spectacle uh, in mm -hmm. terms of production. There's going to be another broadcast. Um, side note here, this is just a personal little uh, gripe I have. The Canadian Nationals, like, so I'm from Toronto. I qualified for Nationals. Mm -hmm. They are not broadcasting it. They're not allowing any broadcast of any kind hmm. for the Nationals. It's just this closed kind of sort of in a basement affair. And I'm kind of hmm. a little bit distraught that it's not being 
thrown out there. So uh, who, who runs who runs the um, the Canadian Nationals like organization? Like yeah, who organizes that tournament? It is a it is a game store. Uh, there's a few locations for it within the the Greater Toronto area. It's called Dolly's Toys and Games. So if mm. they're listening, this is me just kind of poking and prodding you guys <laughs> to say you are literally missing out on a massive opportunity. And I get it. You're not Channel Fireball because Channel Fireball has put on countless events in the past at exponentially bigger, you know, uh, with bigger stakes than this, so to speak. But at the very least, this should be something that you guys have to have on your radar. It's kind of a little bit Mm -hmm. of a shame that, uh, like, I I reached out to them uh, and I said, listen, I would, I am qualified for the event. I would much rather be part of the broadcast team. If that is something that you guys are looking to recruit or hire, I would rather do that than compete in an event and get embarrassed. Um, so, uh, and and the reply was, we're not broadcasting it and we're not allowing anyone to broadcast it. It's like, beautiful. Oh, okay. Weird. Yeah, hmm. it is what it is. Um, so anyways, that was just a little bit of a tangent. And um, what, I'm, uh, what I was going to ask you was, are, from Vegas to Dallas, is is the broadcast kind of getting, you know, I, I know the Channel Fireball has a lot of experience in terms of card games and especially, you know, tabletop card games, uh, paper versions doing these tournaments. Has the flesh and blood seemed different than, let's say, Magic tournaments prior? Are they getting better as they go along? Was Dallas just smoother than Vegas? From a from an organizational standpoint, organizational from, like, uh, from an execution sure. standpoint and whatnot, because I mean we've a lot of people like myself have just watched it and and you know we notice it's like okay like the the casters are a little bit more comfortable because this is they've they've got more reps under their belt and and you know now they're doing stuff like sealed it's a different ball game and and I'm just curious from the perspective of from your side from the broadcast side on that side of the camera was it a smoother experience uh, overall. Um, I would say yes. And I wouldn't say that as a, you know, like a derogatory remark to the first event. I had a blast and I thought it was incredibly well run. Um, Vegas was uh, I thought they they absolutely killed it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really want to go into too many specifics, but they were they were doing a lot of things from the production side of things that like they were all hands on deck. We have a problem. Let's fix it. Let's figure out how to be flexible and do this. They absolutely killed it and blew me away. I have never worked with a better group of people than uh, the people that I worked with when it comes to production at uh, Channel Fireball. And then we got to Vegas and things were even better than they were at uh, or sorry, we got to DFW and things were even better than they were at Vegas. People were more uh, locked in and knew what they had. Um, we were even more prepared as far as, you know, coverage and um, production, that sort of stuff. It was it was smooth sailing. Basically, since I got there, they absolutely killed it. Those guys that work uh, the events are they're amazing. I can't say enough good things about them. And they're good people too. really fun to just hang out with and talk to uh, in between, like, you know, commentary sessions where we're just talking a lot it's it's like you may not want to talk but when it's those guys you want to talk to them you want to hang out with them so so they did a fantastic job and it was a lot just very comfortable the whole time so vegas was essentially all classic constructed this time it's changed Mm -hmm. this time there was just this curveball thrown at players i mean it wasn't like they didn't see it coming so to speak but it's definitely a change of pace there was limited format introduced as part of the competitive that, you know, your record, this is what you need to do. It's not just a matter of being good at that one deck versus the field in this particular format. They want to test your metal with 
was sealed. Let's see what you get, what you can do with the odds and ends that we toss at you. How does this change the competitive seat? Is this something that you think should stick to uh, how these calling, these major events uh, are, are decided? Should this always be part of it? Should it be switched, rotated? How do you feel mm. about limited format in as part of the competitive seat? Oh, I, I, well, first of all, I think it's it's fantastic for keeping everyone on their toes and keeping everyone invested in uh, preparing, if, especially if you're going to, from LSS's perspective, if you're going to be pushing out what is essentially like a, um, you know, like a, a tournament circuit over 2022, uh, this is a fantastic leg of that circuit to do um, limited version or limited format events. And to ask your players, if you would like to call yourself the best in the world at something, prove that you're the best at classic constructed, prove that you're the best in limited and uh, make your way through the gauntlet in both legs. And uh, we, we can actually talk. So, yes, I think they are going to continue doing um, limited only um, like large scale major events. I think they are going to do and we already know the format for uh, nationals, a hybrid model of both. Um, and I think this will be a continuous uh, thing and a an established pattern for LSS and for Flesh and Blood going forward. Yeah, I noticed you didn't say Blitz. Is that something that should just completely be erased from any kind of competitive scene? Well, I don't know. Um, depends on how competitive you're you're discussing. If you're thinking like major tournaments, I don't know if they'd put Blitz in, as a format into a major like tournaments, um, but. I don't <laughs> I, I'm not going to speak for them and I could definitely see them doing it if they choose to go that way. I would just think that the way they've talked about it and uh, with the place that Blitz actually has already and the kind of competitive tournament structure, it fits right in that perfect niche where they're already using it. And so for me, I would think well, that's probably what they're aiming for, to just keep it where it is and have it be that middle ground between, um, you know, picking up the game for the first time and uh, jumping into like full on competitive mode. Uh, and that's where it is right now as a format. And uh, it functions beautifully for those purposes of getting players into that semi-competitive level. Uh, and then keeping it there just seems like the right fit. But, you know, I've said stuff like that. And then LSS has like released a thing and it's been like, oh, they did that. So I, I could definitely be wrong and they could just like announce a 2022 Blitz only major tournament and it'd be like, hey, cool. You know what? I'd play that. That's a fun format. It's fast games. I always have this weird fantasy where like card games should always be produced like WWE, like these massive wrestling events. And I always thought that how hilarious it would it be where it's like people show up with their CC decks and they're expecting, you know, nine rounds of CC or whatever. And all of a sudden after the third round, like there's this like like the lights go down and like the general manager comes up and there's this this random stipulation. It's like it's actually going to be a blitz event and everyone has to take <laughs> whatever their cc pool was and prune it down to a blitz deck and then they have to play that like this i don't know it's just i just always thinking that everything sounds better when stone cold's glass break music shows up and people come out of the that game would be a really cool tournament i think it would that just would be, be so cool well you know i mean that that idea is free all the other stupid wrestling ideas i have regarding card games those cost money so we'll see how that goes oh uh, now now the rest of this uh, the rest of this conversation i'm just going to be thinking about what deck <laughs> i would bring to a classic constructed that i could easily pare down into blitz and still be like really competitive well geez I, now i want to think about that that's really good I, well it's done a, it's a cool idea like i think that in terms of just all like you know like these wacky tournament ideas it would be an interesting one where it's like all right you you show up with your cc deck it's like 
six or eight rounds of Swiss, but you do not know which rounds are going to be blitz or not. But either way, like eventually you show up with that pool and then, you know, every every game like this overarching key master kind of overlord flips a coin and just goes <laughs> yeah it you is, flip a coin. yeah he just oh, like the lights kind of dim the spotlights on him he's like it is blitz and then everybody has to prune their cards down like i don't know then it then that devolves into some sort of weird squid game kind of thing and i don't want to go down oh. that route but no we should definitely go there that sounds <laughs> fantastic i feel like it's like the iron chef guy the the host from oh, iron yeah. chef the yes. lights hit him and he's just like this is the format and then the format spins on the screen on like a spinner and then someone shrieks in the audience oh not again oh like, or, that would be awesome that would be freaking crazy that or there's like they kind of have this mystery basket in between or like in the middle and he like lifts it up he's like and everyone will be playing guardian it's like like everyone's like oh wow okay we're all playing guardian so it's like uh okay uh silly idea you walk into you walk into the room and you're with like a group of five and it's like you picked your team now play ultimate pit fight (laughs) last one standing goes on and it's like there's the ultimate squid game for flesh and blood oh yeah that's the play you have drafted what you thought was the best deck now pass it to your opponent yes that's right yes Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, come on. That'd be awesome. Okay. I would play in, in all of those tournaments. Uh, yeah, I would feel bad charging someone to enter that event. But still, uh, I would freaking love casting that because, oh, that's where the pyro comes in. That's where the wrestling music comes in. Uh, Just give out really good play mats and no one would care. Come on. I think that's it. I mean, that's the ultimate lure, right? It's just like, hey, there's a play mat with a card you like on it. Come on by. You don't even know what the format is. Don't bring your cards. They don't matter. Not gonna lie, that pulse of Volthaven for like a uh, playmat, that one had my name on it from DFW. Oh, so good. Did you get one? Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm not leaving without getting one of those pulse of Volthaven playmats. That's the other question for me. Is like a lot of the the fact is like yeah, you have you're there, you're casting the event. That's a pretty prestigious you know perch to sit on. Is to have that kind of vantage point for these awesome games. That means you just can't play, right? Like I mean, it does. Don't you want to sit there and like just sit in on a sealed pool at one point? You know, you're talking about people that just go there to play the side events. Like, I feel like, hey, man, I got like two hours to kill, but you didn't. Right. Like you never had an opportunity. No, this is this is the one um, regret that I always have whenever it comes to uh, commentating or casting an event is I get to watch a ton of really fun games of a game that I love but I don't get to play it. It's like someone dangling that steak like five feet from your face and then you watch them eat it. It's like like that looks good for you, but I would like to have some too. Like that is the experience that I have in general. And I absolutely love watching people play flesh and blood. And I when I do commentary that someone that's watching gets something out of the commentary or even just entertainment. Maybe you learn something as well, but it's it's a little bit bittersweet because you don't get to play as well. So it, there's a there's the trade off there, and it is it is bittersweet. So are you? So you're in Dallas Fort Worth. Are you are you a, an Astros fan? I am an okay. Astros fan. Yes. Well, uh, as a uh, longstanding Dodgers fan, I, I I despise everything that you're about. But the, the I understand that <laughs> the whole point of this was the fact that you know. Uh, part of part of the next segment, which is go again, where we ask a lot of questions. Um, yeah, you know what? It's in there, so we'll we'll get to that later. But uh, 
I, I was just checking my notes here. Yeah, it's in there. I was going to toss it in now, but it's all good. Um, but uh, uh, just touching back on this limited format, uh, you mentioned that, you know, th- this is something where it's like you want to be the best, be the best in these important formats, both of them, mm. right? So yeah. this kind of rewards better, like the better players overall. I'm wondering if you think that this kind of maybe exposed some of the players that are really good in one format, but just maybe flounder in others. I don't know. I don't know if exposed is the right word. I think... Um this this is a really good way to show well-roundedness. And um, it, I, I will say this, too. I would say that it is pretty tough. When you go from a 500-person pool to a cut to 64, um, it's really tough to um, stake your claim that you are, um, uh, or that someone else, I should say, perhaps, is not good at the game if they don't make the cut to 64. Does that make sense? I get what you're in, saying. In a sealed or in a limited format. Uh, right event so i i wouldn't say that like uh you not making top 32 or you know top eight or whatever you want whatever kind of imaginary poll we want to move along um makes you a bad player especially if you have had success um you know at a classic constructed but it may speak to uh, a place or an area that you could get better at you know you don't necessarily have to be super bad at something to find that you could improve like I don't consider myself super bad at the game, but I have a lot of places that I can improve. Certainly. And that that's like the, the person who finished, like, let's say 65th or somebody who finished, mm. like, we know, I know somebody who finished tied, like, tied ninth that couldn't get in. Like, that was not in top eight because of tiebreakers. And you're thinking of like, oh, these are the best in the world. But what differentiates that eighth person, uh, eighth place person from the ninth place person? You know, it's a tiebreaker, a random algorithm or some sort of math equation that really just kind of, you know, push them out. I do think that if you want to be considered the best, you have to excel at all competitive facets of the game. And, um, you know, maybe the term ex- exposed is not necessarily the, the right term. Uh, uh, maybe it's a situation where th- now that this is kind of, it has been tested, it has been, it has been uh, a success, uh, in my opinion, the fact that they've mixed formats, that this is something where those players that kind of were, cruising and 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 just dominating cc tournaments now they go over here maybe they didn't think that this was even going to be that big of a deal that that they thought that i can just easily just kind of cruise to a two and one uh in this format and not worry about it and suddenly they get they get dummied oh three and they're out of it and this could be a wake-up mm-hmm. call for other competitive players who are just thinking that it, it, it's it's a one-trick pony this is classic constructed and i know that that's kind of the flagship for this mm-hmm. uh for this game but you got to keep, keep in mind that th- you know, you gotta, you, you, sometimes it's it's not about ideal situations. You're not always going in with the perfect deck that you've just tuned in. You gotta be able to, to you know, make heads or tails. Uh, the way I say it is you gotta make chicken salad out of chicken shit, you know? And that's what sealed is for a lot of the, a lot of people. And I mean, for instance, there was one game that you were casting where one player, I think uh, one player had Winter's Whale. It was an old mirror. One mm. had Winter's Whale and the other didn't. But the Winter's Whale player didn't win. You know, like it's just... There, that is where rewarding the better player based on their sheer skill, I think, comes through. And I, I really like this. And um, the other thing is, is equipment, I feel, is incredibly important in these limited formats. Well, so before we talk about equipment, because I agree with you, it is incredibly important and limited, and especially in Tails. I also want to say that I totally agree. If you want to call yourself the best, then you have to excel in competitive formats. And LSS has said from the beginning that this game is designed for classic, constructed, and limited play. Those are two tent poles to major tenants and like core 
formats of the game. And if that's the case, then to be a successful competitive player and the best competitive player, you should excel at both. And so if you don't find success at one event, go to another event and try to get better, right? Or practice at home and, and at your LGS and try to get better. I totally agree with you. Um, yeah, the other, the other, and, and it's, it's, that's the, that, a lot of part is the tough part is like people practicing limited, uh, in a paper format eventually could, could get costly to a degree, uh, for some people, but it's, that's the thing, right? I mean, people need to be good at all, at all facets like this, this, you know, be your, your average play between the two f has to be better than everyone else's. And that's, that's what, uh, Namvo did just crushed it and uh and and part of that uh, also is the fact that what i've noticed is in the sealed format uh just amongst discussions amongst uh you know people that i discussed this game with and whatever there was a lot of emphasis put on taking key equipment pieces early because they're a little bit rarer in tales of aria there's not a, a mm. there's not a, a dedicated equipment slot sometimes it's something else yep. and in this case uh we've seen how that can change for instance a lot of people are saying, I don't care unless it's a bomb of a card, you're taking deep blue every time. And, I, and I'd be hard pressed to disagree. I think there are times where you can take something different. Like you said, if it's a super bomb card or if you just really um, feel like this archetype or this class or this um, element is going to be super open, then maybe take it. But equipment, like you mentioned, particularly the ones that are generic and can kind of cross class lines like a deep blue or maybe you argue a Cracker Jacks on to a certain degree or most I think most importantly, grabbing a mark of lightning, things like those pieces of equipment are incredibly sought after if you are playing a draft. Of course, if you're if you're in sealed, you're kind of married to whatever you open. Uh, but if you're drafting and uh, you want some obvious power card to help you along the way, then a deep blue or a mark of lightning is a fantastic pick one, pack one. And uh, I, I put a video out before um, it was like a short and, and uh, is me opening a pack and saying what I would pick. And it was before the calling. And uh, I was going through the cards and I was like, this is a good one. This is a pretty you would consider this one. And then I got to the equipment slot and it was deep blue. And I was like, yep, that's the end of the video. That's the pick. You make this pick as your pack one, because that card is just so flexible for every class and can be run by every class. And if you're thinking about becoming a better uh, drafter, or, uh, you know, just in general, limited player recognizing and particularly in Tales of Aria that equipment is hard to come by and several of them are uh, flexible for every class like Deep Blue, uh, then grabbing those early makes a ton more sense, right? Yeah, it, gone are the days where like this is it's not like you can just go out there and rare draft. It's not like you're going to your LGS on the weekend, you know, slamming down 15 bucks to do a draft and and have fun in that regard. Whereas, you know, you don't care when or losing because at, at a certain point, it's just, well, I found the best card, the most valuable card you go on. There are situations in this where there's so much on the line that picking up like a token piece like that is just is clutch. You know, you might just pass on a very important card because this just seems so much more relevant to what I'm trying to do. That's why the most painful pack to open is the third one where you have this bomb of a card that has absolutely nothing to do with what you're going through and you just either have to pass it along and hope that it, mm. it you know, it's not relevant to anyone else or you pick it and you just waste a, you know, you per perhaps waste a slot or a card or an option. 
Yeah, and I will say this to LSS's credit when they designed this set, um, and really when they designed Flesh and Blood, equipment are very, very good things in draft. I mean, even if you go all the way back to uh, drafting the very first set, Welcome to Wraith, when you drafted that, you would consider picking equipment because you're really only going to see a few of them floating around because everybody is going to want equipment. But you don't have to have equipment to win a game or to win lots of games. Um, so there is some give and take there. I do think, though, in this set, it is more of a premium because there are less. Like you mentioned earlier, that slot is sometimes taken up by a card called like Amulet of Lightning or Amulet of whatever. Um, and so understanding that makes you a better drafter uh, in general. Yeah. Now, the winner of the calling in Dallas-Fort Worth was Namvo. And, and that was a um, I, I don't want to say master class, but it is a damn good opener for Oldham on the on the block, so to speak, somebody who just mastered how to play it, the slow play, the 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 being able to manage your resources late game, the long game, um, you know, blocking, you know, pivoting here, defense reactions, etc. cetera. Uh, Control was also the name of the game in the calling in Las Vegas, where just through a gauntlet of chain decks and this onslaught of damage came this prism that just managed to when the dust settled stand tall over uh, uh, uh you know this 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 armada no offense of uh <laughs> of of chain players that were constantly um favored to win the tournament and suddenly here mm -hmm. is this prism list that just controlled everything and suddenly here is this oldham list where a lot of people were putting let's say briar or even lexi as the better heroes the more viable heroes from this set is is this an anomaly like it may have been from uh, La, uh, the Calling Las Vegas? Is this just sort of a flash in the pan, or is this what the game is? It's that the better players are playing control, and they're winning with it. So it's interesting that you brought this up, because this is something that I was actually going to make a video on. I was completely, this is a topic that I had been thinking about since um, Nam did pick up the win, and since controlled him. Controlled him, I'm calling it that. Controlled him, picked up the win. Um I think this speaks to two things. I think, first of all, control has always been incredibly viable in this game. Uh, going back all the way to Turtle Katsu um, at some of the very early, like, large-scale tournaments, which was a deck that was is still popular. Control Katsu is still popular today in the in the previous meta, where you basically just sat back, played a bunch of flick flacks, um, you know, tried to block out everything your opponent did, and then killed them with Kadachis, right? That's what we saw him do uh, as, a, as a hero. And then we had Control mid range dash which is the mechanologist hero uh that did the basically the same thing but better block a bunch of stuff you know spend all your cards that just blocking things out not taking damage uh wasting all your opponent's threats and then shooting them in the face with a pistol and then we see control prism pick up the calling win in las vegas stopping what is perhaps the most oppressive deck that we've ever seen in flesh and blood which is uh, you know, chain, like you mentioned earlier, uh, just controlling out chain, blocking it out. And even on giant bomb turns towards the end of the game, being able to just maintain enough life and maintain enough uh, defenses to basically control them out of the game as well. And now we have in a limited format, another control archetype, just take the win. And this to me speaks to a fundamental that we as a community can start to try and target and learn to be better at. And that's how do you attack control in flesh and blood? Because a lot of times, and we saw this this past weekend, a lot of times uh, players will go, okay, 
they're playing control. I just have to deal constant pressure turns of damage and eventually they'll run out of ways to defend it. And we've seen time and time again that just doesn't work. That's not a possible viable strategy with with the, you know, in a limited format, it didn't work uh, in previous like constructed formats. Uh, it didn't really work, even with like chain trying to do it. It didn't always work. And so thinking that we just are going to have enough aggression tools and threats in the deck to just um, blow down control decks is not necessarily. And I do want to put this in asterisks because there's always room for um, aggro decks in metas but not necessarily the direct answer to control. And it's going to be finding that answer over the next few weeks and months. That's going to be the most interesting thing to see if anyone kind of sits down and really, I guess, point by point figures out how to attack control decks with success. Uh, because if not, control is just going to continue to do incredibly well and uh, consist be con incredibly consistent at tournaments. And maybe it ends up being like a thing where uh, control versus control. Someone's going to have to pivot off of control and like who's going to win that matchup. Uh, and maybe it's going to be a mid range deck that finds the way to thread past the control or combo out over top of control and then also have gameplay against uh, aggro matchups. But to me, it speaks to this fundamental as a community, we can go and sit down and try to figure out a way to attack control, which has been incredibly and wildly successful in major tournaments in the game this far. What's fascinating to me is the is that even when we're looking at the the grand scheme of things, uh, Matt Cosmar, aka Cosmic, has put out a lot of uh, graphics from the RTNs over the past uh, several weeks leading up to these major events, and uh, a lot of those numbers are here's how many of these tournaments are top eights are chain and here's how many of chain is one uh mm. same thing with prism here's how many prisms and here's how many prism have won prism uh you know has not really converted well whereas chain has is this a situation perhaps where on the grandest scale where the best players in the world they're playing control and they're winning because the skill ceiling on control is that much higher that the best in the world can just get over top on every other deck because they're playing something that that their their skill set can fill up that space that other players may be falling short on. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that to a certain degree. Yes, I think the answer is yes. I think it's also in combination with that. I think it's also a situation where um, because the game is so new and because it's fundamentally different to deck build for and to practice for and to just play in general, a lot of um, newer and wanting to be competitive players will immediately look at what's successful and then just play that, right? We'll go, okay, chain is winning. I'll just play chain and then I'll win, ha ha. And then we stop thinking about, well, okay, what are some ways to combat chain and, and how can we actually get there? Oh, it's really hard. Maybe I'll just keep playing chain. And instead of doing that, we've seen um, top players like Tyler Horsepool who won uh, the, the calling uh, Las Vegas stick with something and keep iterating and keep practicing a matchup and practicing until they push the win rate up and up and up and figure out how to stop it um, in, in the, the aggro sense. So in, in that respect, I do think that there's something to be said for uh, people literally just needing to sit down and figure out how to stop something. I think that one of the hardest things in any card game, frankly, is the innovative side. Uh, is yeah. the, 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 the innovator is always the most taxed, the most... Uh, stressed out of every yeah. other card game player. The person who can grind 
you know, hours and hours and hours of practice and, and play that those people are not the ones I necessarily respect the most. It's the ones who sit down at the drawing board and, and get their ass beat by through, through testing until they find it, until they find that sweet spot of, all right, if, like you said, people are seeing that chain keeps winning, they know it's a powerful deck. They may only have X amount of dollars to invest in one deck. Why would you go and, uh, you know, it's like I could buy the shelf uh, and have it delivered to the house, or I can go and chop down trees and try to figure it out. Yep. And you know what? Maybe yeah. the end product ain't gonna be as well as nice, but maybe it'll be beautiful. But that's the same thing. It's those it's those innovators. It's the 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 ones with the ideas that sit down and try to figure it out that probably are deserve the most amount of respect. Players like Tyler Horsepool and Namvo, let's say in this case, who are, are piloting these control variants in a sea of other decks that are, are, are more aggressive, that are coming at you full throttle. So yeah, huge respect I totally to these players. Agree. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, and, and that is something that I think players have the opportunity to do uh, going into the next classic constructed like meta is like sitting down and figuring out what's the best and a lot of people are saying perhaps the best is prism control prism or you know maybe a control guardian kind of continues to be something that works because control guardian was always an archetype um back in welcome to wraith with bravo you could play bravo control and it was it was fairly successful and fairly consistent um, if control continues to be that, then players have the opportunity to be that person that goes into the watershed or goes into the shed and just hacks out something, right? And just figures it out and uh, grinds out a, a deck to beat those other decks. So do you think that this control you know, shift or sway will influence future events in Tales of Aria? Do you think that now that everybody has seen, okay, well, Prism won Vegas, uh, Oldham beat the field in uh in dallas fort worth do you think that this is going to be what kind of shifts the meta i know that anytime that there's a major event everybody likes to look at the deck let's see what performed what didn't yeah uh but is is this just a massive shift towards oldham specifically or do you think this is more of a shift towards control or do you think that this is just negligible um i do think that this changes people's perception on oldham because i feel as though and this could just be anecdotal my own personal um opinions or reading of the entire uh community whatever you want to say um i do think that when it came to limited that people immediately gravitated towards briar because of uh, arcane damage or lexi because lexi's cool and you fire arrows and you can give them dominate which is an easy to understand and grasp win condition and then there was oldham who's old <laughs> and people couldn't really tell i mean he threw big things down and sometimes you couldn't pay for the cards that you had and so people were like yeah i mean he exists he's kind of cool he's got a you know funky defense reaction ability but the other two are more spicy or more consistent or you think are just more powerful. And so now that Oldham just wrecked everybody because uh, no one drafted it in the top eight, I think this will fundamentally change the way people look at Oldham and draft Oldham uh, and even, heck, just play Oldham as far as Sealed is concerned. I, I said this to a couple people at the event um, last weekend. I said, you know, I bet you because we didn't see a ton of Oldhams like on stream in the sealed portion, I bet you if we went back and looked at like people that went 
like three and four, four and three, kind of like that middle ground area. I bet we could point to specific sealed pools and say this person probably could have really put together a decent or a good Oldham list and they just didn't want to or didn't think to or didn't know how to. And so if people are shown how Oldham can play, more people will play Oldham. He will rise in popularity and that will bring down his uh, consistency of, of like high quality drafts when it comes to drafting because more people will start taking those cards or at least at the very least hate draft it because they don't want to play against Navo's list in draft. All right. Well, I think that one of the key pieces that I can take out of this first segment here on the Instant Speed podcast is the coinage of the term controlled him, which I think mm -hmm. is pretty damn good, if I, if I may say so. Uh, we've got another segment around the corner, uh, Armada. It's called Go Again. We're going to fling a whole slew of questions at you. Hopefully you're sticking around for that. I'm going to take that as a yes. <laughs> oh, was are you asking me? I thought you were asking the audience. Oh. Audience. Are you sticking around for that? Because I'm here. I'm literally right you here. You are I'm not locked going anywhere. in. Yeah, you can't go anywhere because the that internet door is... over there is locked. I mean, I'm, I can't go anywhere. I've created this like uh, through the internet prison for you until this is over. But yes, the uh, segment called Go Again is around the corner right after these messages from our sponsors at Red Riot Games. The Instant Speed Podcast is brought to you by Red Riot Games, my favorite place to play Flesh and Blood. Now with Tales of Aria going full throttle, you're going to need to round out your new elemental deck with a few singles here and there. Maybe you need an extra blank or a Channel Lake Frigid, or maybe you're hunting for a decent price on some Ranger equipment. Either way, Red Riot Games gives you the best prices on singles and a slew of awesome playmats to show off who your favorite hero is. You can help out the Instant Speed podcast by checking out Red Riot Games through the link in the description. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to go wide on DM Armada as we go again on a series of rapid fire questions. DM Armada, are you ready to go again? Fire away. All right, with my first action, what is the DM in DM Armada? I'm thinking it's like Daman or something. It is now Daman. I'm putting that in. I'm changing it. Fundamentally, it's demand. That's the answer. No, um, I, I made my YouTube channel back in 2015, I think, 2015, um, 2015, 16. Um, and I chose the name DM Armada because I was going to make a channel um, predominantly about the game Dice Masters. So Dice Masters is shortened to DM. At least that's what I chose, uh, which is funny because a lot of people say Dungeon Master. And I'll take that, too. I mean, I ran. I ran some D&D &D campaigns and those were fantastic, but it, it was all short for Dice Masters. And uh, I chose Armada because I loved the idea that like a game community, a community of people who from all different parts of, uh, you know, the world, walks of life, different upbringings, things like that can come together as a community, um, just like, you know, like the idea of like all of these ships coming together to form something that's greater than their parts. So I picked that name very specifically, and uh, I'm never going to change it. Well, that's good to have you on the show. Demand Armada. That's boom. I mean, that's all up until today, because from now onward, you can yeah get get it on your driver's license and everything. Um, I'm gonna so, write it down. You've been to two calling events. You've seen the prize walls, and they're pretty impressive. If you could pick anything off those prize walls, uh, DM Armada, what would it be? Oh, I love this question. Um, I would pick 
So I actually I, I was actually looking at the prize wall and I was like, that's what I want. I will take one of those oversized cards of Lexi because I got to spoil Lexi uh, and I really enjoyed spoiling Lexi. And I think that would be a fun kind of like memory. Like, hey, I, I spoiled this card and there it is. It's giant. It looks huge. Second, a close second would be any of the uncut sheets of Tales of Aria foils because they're beautiful. Yeah, they look gorgeous. Uh, I've seen a lot of those cards, like the people who actually win them, and then you see them mm. immediately for sale on various different Facebook and marketplaces. It's like, how do you ship that? How does if that I work? If I had money, oh man, I would pick one up. It is beautiful. Best picture I saw was literally a dude who had the giant chain in the trunk of his car. It was a picture of it in the trunk <laughs> yeah. of the car, and it's like, uh, it's like, that. it's like if you're if you're curious to know how big it is, this is how big it is. It's in the trunk yeah. of the car. So, uh, yeah, fantastic. All right, I, I can't disagree with that. I think that uh, the the oversized card would probably I would get an oversized Katsu. I think that's what I would want. Um, yeah, they haven't shown that. They've only done Monarch and uh, Tales of Aria. If they did the old school, I think I would get an oversized. I don't know. I kind of get an oversized Ira. That'd be kind of cool. If they Bravo. did Crucible, I mean, I'd get an oversized cool. oversized Kasai. Kasai is really cool. Yeah, that's not a bad one. Also, Data mm. Doll. I mean, Benji. Yeah, that there's, would look awesome. There's a lot of really wicked characters that are just kind of like scratched the surface on. Um, now, you've, you've already cast uh, several matches, but if you had the opportunity to either cast a finals or play in a finals, which would you choose? Cast because i wouldn't be nervous oh i'd be so freaking out if i were playing in the finals i, I so kind of freaking out i kind of agree with you there like even playing in an rtn i was kind of like i would much rather be just be talking about what other people are doing like i it, it, do you get those nerves like when you play even if like if there's any stakes at all i kind of clam up i'm just wondering if you're the same way I do. Um, so I come from a background of a lot of performance. So I feel like that does pay off in this. So I've I've uh, I teach music and uh, I've performed a lot of music in front of a lot of audiences. And so there's there's a moment where you kind of go into the zone when it comes to like performing. And I think it's the same thing for for me for um, card games. But man, it's the lead up. I always hate the lead up, whether it's about I'm about to go on stage and I'm just sitting there thinking about like just in in your own headspace i hate that when i'm there doing the thing then i'm in the zone but it's it's i hate the lead up so if i were like playing or casting in the finals if i can avoid the lead up and just immediately start playing the game i'd probably be more happy doing that but waiting and just thinking about the fact that i could win or lose it's like ah don't want that worst. stress i mean mm. uh so this is not even part of go again i'm just curious what what instrument is your go-to like what's your specialty a good question um so i in sixth grade picked up the trumpet and i've been playing it ever since um i because because i'm a like a music teacher i can play all of the instruments uh so like i could go pick up the french horn over there and play that or i could pick up an oboe and play that you know but for me it, like i started with trumpet and so trumpet is the one i'm, I'm most comfortable with yeah I started with the xylophone, uh, which oh, yeah, yeah. which then introduced me to w one of my favorite words of all time, which is glockenspiel. Um, yeah, man. And then I asked my music teacher to switch to trumpet because, and this is a true story, I heard the song Mambo Number no. Five by Lou Bega, and I was like, I could I could have a career in music by playing the trumpet. I don't it's need true. to. I don't need a guitar or drums. I could just be part of like some sort of 
weird mambo band and uh i have friends that get paid to play trumpet so it's pretty yeah you can (laughs) there you go so that's a that's definitely an alternative career uh but that's uh, god i'm glad that that's not the case uh this one is practicing man keep practicing (laughs) that's the key so this one is submitted <laughs> by PNW Beard Boy on Twitter, and, and uh, they ask, as a broadcaster, how do you prep for an event like The Calling? Ooh, that's a good question, too. Are these all from, like, Twitter? Uh, I wish I was that popular. That is the only submitted one. I usually kind of put out a, a, a feeler for people to sort of send in stuff, uh, and I include whatever I can get. Most of these are just from my my twisted noggin but uh, this well, dude, is a very solid good- questions these are good ones okay um how did i prepare for i'll tell you how i prepared for this one uh because it was uh, limited i played a lot of limited i opened a lot of uh cards and uh put myself in the scenario of making a sealed pool or um looking at like a pick one pack one draft or i put myself into like a random scenario where it was like okay i'm on pick you know, I'm like in impact two and I'm I'm halfway through and I have a, a decent lightning and um, earth pool with a couple of splashes of, uh, you know, other other class cards and stuff like that. And so then I looked at the the pack with that perspective. So there's a lot of that stuff, uh, memorizing all the cards, memorizing all the cards, building decks um, for the heroes, you know, and like thinking about combos and things that like you could tap into there that even came up on the stream, in fact. So it was like, man, that paid off in that moment. Yeah, all of that, just messing around with the heroes and trying to figure out like what makes them work and playing drafts and sealed. I played like multiple drafts leading up to uh, leading up to the actual event just so that I could feel comfortable and like if we covered draft, I could tell you how I felt about it and like what I experienced in the actual draft. So I did a lot of playing, a lot of pack opening, a lot of theorizing, a lot of deck building. Yeah, there's a lot of work behind it. And that's what a lot of people don't know is just that if for yourself to go up there and just to, you know, I don't want to say feel adequate, but I know that mm. sometimes there's just that feeling of like, did I did I mess up? Did I not mess up? There's a lot of work behind this. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, for all of you out there, you got to appreciate uh, how, you know, casters like DM Armada, what it takes to just make sure that they are conveying the information that is might be might be so obvious yeah. to you. But keep in mind that these are they need to be on the ball for everything. So, uh, yeah, you did an amazing job. Uh, and uh, that leads me to my next question, which is what is the worst blunder that you've made as a caster at an event? <laughs> oh, God, I hate this one. Um, OK, so I was casting the uh, World Championship of Dice Masters in 2019. And uh, I think you can actually still find this game. It's on my YouTube channel and one of, and at some point in the stream. I think the stream's still up on YouTube. Uh, it's a really good stream, too. Really good game. And there was a point where we were we were in a specific format, which is like a golden age format for the game where literally every card is available to play. So, like, obviously, you have to have an encyclopedia of knowledge for the entire game to understand, like, certain card interactions. And uh, and I, I felt pretty confident in that, except I had a friend who brought the weirdest, like, deck I've ever seen. And so me and my co-caster were literally two thirds of the match casting under the assumption that X was going to happen. And there was no way that that actually was going to happen based on what the team was going to do. So about two thirds of the way through, we were like, 
oh, this is how this works. Oh my gosh. And so all of a sudden we had to completely pivot and like describe what the actual team was doing. I felt so bad after the fact because it was like a friend that I drove to the event with. Like we literally were in the car and I could have just asked him what he was going to play and like tell him, like tell me about your deck. And no, no, I just completely whiffed on exactly what his like the point of you know, the thing wanted to do and the wind condition was like whoosh, over my head. It was weird, too. It was like a weird wind condition and it like actually worked. And so I guess kudos to him for pulling it off and showing us like how it actually functioned. Like it was so obs obscure and up like off the like out of left field that it even fooled you guys, you know, where uh, it's just you had no clue what was going on. But like it's like going to the racetrack and just be like, oh, those are horses. Oh, it changes everything. I thought this was yeah. a cruel sport, you know, like oh, this was terrible, you know? Yeah, it was, it was. And believe it or not, it was a control deck that basically took away all of your resources. Right. So it took away all of your thing. Of, think of a game where like in a game like Magic the Gathering, two things butt heads and one thing dies. Right. It's taking away all the things that butt heads, but then it's not trying to attack you until it has an OTK. And it's like, wait, in this moment, why isn't he just we were like trying to figure it out without like low key just saying this is wrong. He's fun fundamentally playing this wrong and then we realize that we're just idiots <laughs> on stream in front of people well which you have to gracefully kind of like expose to people like okay well here's why we're idiots but don't you know twitch <laughs> chat be nice yeah uh now yeah. for new players who are are you know not maybe not necessarily new but they've played the game they're comfortable with it they want to take that extra step into perhaps exploring the competitive side of flesh and blood what is a, a a tip that you can offer somebody who wants to take their game to that level? Oh, my God. Uh, go play in the upcoming Blitz skirmish season that happens after uh, U.S. Nationals. 100% end of story. Literally, pick a deck, play in like four or five skirmishes if you can. Um, and then halfway through, you're going to realize that um, your deck is either like really well suited for the format or that you need to make some changes. Then you make those changes and uh, you play it again and you play against really good players. But you're playing at a semi competitive kind of an event where it's not too like cutthroat and you're not playing for like thousands of dollars in prizes. But there are still really good prizes on the line. So everyone's pretty serious but having a good time. Those are the events that are absolutely perfect for players that want to take a competitive step. And it's absolutely perfect for, um, you know, the blitz format, which are faster games. So 100%, that is literally what you should do. I would say that's number one and anything else is like a far away second to that. So you've been around uh, various card players. You're obviously uh, well connected within the CCG society and, and the culture. Who is somebody, player, broadcaster, content creator, that just doesn't get enough love that they deserve? Like a specific person or a group? I have a it group could, of people. It could be definitely a group of people, absolutely. Okay, so I got two, two groups of people. You ready? One, and tell me if you think this is correct. I think the artists are... I wouldn't say they're underappreciated because I do think there's a lot of people that really appreciate the prolific artists, you know, like the Mark Pools of the world that have like this indelible mark in like competitive card game design for art. But I think in general, across the board, we underappreciate what an artist's job is in a card game. And that is to give you this just to give you this feeling 
it like evokes a response when you see a card, when you um, look at the art, when you look at what's going on in the illustration, and then you connect it to the ability. Like imagine you take literally every piece of art, every design on a card away, and you're just playing with the text and the feeling that you get from that versus what you get in like a flesh and blood where even the card bordering is a piece of art and tells a story and tells you where someone is in the world of the game. Like there's there's no there's no comparison. And so I think for for artists, we should only hype them up more like there should we should consider them like hugely when it comes to how you experience a game and how you enjoy a game, because without the art portion of uh, the game, a lot of things will fall a lot flatter. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's how I feel about it. I completely agree. I mean, you're looking at cards like, for instance, when someone slams down a command and conquer, like there's the text, the the numbers, the the digits on it, but it's the the picture that just either it it evokes a response. You know, you kind of get really tied to what is trying to be portrayed with the actual flavor of the card. It's a command Mm -hmm. and conquer. It's a big attack. It requires, you know, it it, it kind of, it, 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 you know, uh, it pushes aside certain of your defenses. It, it has a, yeah. an on hit. Like there's, you have to capture that. And you know mm-hmm. the same artists that you talk about that are so um, intimately involved in card games. I mean, some of these artists that you know, for instance, pictures like the original Sarah Angel from Magic and stuff like that. Like these are iconic imagery. Yeah. Um, that uh, it, I always felt that when it comes to these major events like the callings and such like that that some of these artists should be brought in almost as celebrities you know yeah. where they're given panels where they're given a booth for autographs to be handed out you know treat them like they are because in you're right i feel like they are just as inter- i mean the design space of the game and the rules and 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 the design of the cards is one thing but the fact that they're put on such a beautiful template with a gorgeous yeah. piece of art on them is so crucial because a card like Enlightened Strike, Art of War, Command and Conquer. You see, you know exactly what's in your mind. And what's yeah. fascinating to me is the fact that just by saying what these cards are, they evoke so much, but the imagery of that card is immediately stamped in your brain. And that does not go away. Uh, that yeah, is and, a brilliant answer. And when it comes to a hero-centric card game, I mean, just like, think about it. Prism right here, this little poster that I have in, in my background, Prism, if that art was just literally a prism like a like a prism that you would shine light through and and see like no one would care but the moment you see prism and you like look at the different objects around her and you you kind of like understand that uh, you know you see the young version of prism and she's reading a book and you see other cards where prisms like in a library and there's a story told through illustration and it is so well executed that people immediately saw this image and just fell in love with the character and it's true for me for kasai who's only appeared on one card maybe two if you want to get like really specific um and it's true for dorinthia like the artists have created the lore to a large extent with their illustrations and that cannot be oversold like they should be celebrities frankly uh, um amidst i agree with that sure and, yeah and uh, again lss if you're listening to this and everybody else who's organizing these tournaments if there's a, the next big wave of major tournaments bring these artists in have them autograph people's copies of command and conquer art of war prism this that uh we're already seeing a lot of fanfare regarding 
the um, the cosplaying of the characters. There's clearly a lot of lore behind them, and it is these it is the visions of these artists who have basically given life to what we have devoted so much uh, of our interest in. And that's uh, that's uh, now again, like I said, excellent answer, excellent answer. Um, I have one more if you want one oh, more. Do you want one more? Or is that too much? Always want one more. All right, here's one more, and this one's more topical because I have, for the past two events, seen the other side of uh, this group of people in a large way and uh, have a better appreciation of like everything they do besides what their name entails, and that's event judges and event operators. Because no one quite understands until you actually go on that other side what goes into judging an event. Just You don't quite get it until you kind of see it from the other perspective. And I didn't quite get it until I saw it from the other perspective. And like literally the amount of work and hours and like setup that goes into just judging and hosting an event. The the people that do that are saints. And uh, and we should give them a lot of kudos for putting in the hard work. And, you know, they don't have to. They could probably just say, nah, instead I'll play in the event. But instead they choose to uh, to operate it and uh, judge it and like huge Shout out and kudos to them because uh, they're making a uh, they're making a fantastic choice for the for the community. Yeah, it's a sacrifice to a degree as well. I mean, not yeah. only just being taking the time to be as knowledgeable as they are on the stuff, but the fact is, you're right. They could be playing in it. They could probably be winning, it, but they've chosen instead to support the culture of the game and uh, progressing forward. Now, the next question is: I, I don't think I've had anyone better suited to answer this, given the fact that you've been in this game for uh, two years plus now. Correct? Yes. All right. Where do you see Flesh and Blood in five years from now? Then. In five years, what year is that? Uh, that would be twenty twenty six. The tail end yeah. of twenty twenty six. National season for twenty twenty six. How many uh, championships the... have you called, and how mm. many have you won? Oh, I'll, I'll leave my personal thing out of it. I would love to do as many as they'd have me for. If they want me to cast an event, all they have to do is ask, and, and I will do my best to say yes, because I absolutely love doing that, and I love doing it for other people, too. I, I hope uh, people get enjoyment out of it. As far as where the game is in five years, I think it will have cemented itself well before this, perhaps, in five years, but I think it will be cemented as a mainstay staple of local game stores and um, a mainstay of competitive tournament play and limited play. I think it will be one of the premier games just on the shelves, period, end of story. Well, you have been one of the premier guests here on the Instant Speed podcast. Yeah. Again, uh, Stephen Cookus, a.k.a. DM Armada. It is my pleasure again to have you on the show. It has been insightful. It has been fun. And, uh, I mean, like you said, you've been in this uh, kicking around in, in Flesh and Blood for quite a while. But for those who may not know you, A, where the hell have you guys been? And B, perhaps <laughs> you can help them out because uh, you're all over the calling events, uh, calling the action. But you do have other ways to get in touch with you. So please educate yeah. the masses. Yeah, I do YouTube content. I sit in this exact chair and make YouTube videos um, over on youtube.com slash DM Armada. If you want to catch stuff that I do uh, on Channel Fireball, I also make uh, videos for Channel Fireball. Um, check them out at youtube.com. I think it's just slash Channel Fireball. 
Um, so you can check out stuff there. I am getting more active on social media. So you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Armada underscore DM. Um, I've got a Facebook uh, page as well. I have an Instagram as well. All of that can be found via the name DM Armada. So I try to make it easy for people to find stuff that I do. And uh, that's where if you want to come hang out with me, you can go to all those places. So there it is. Well, Mark Zuckerberg's like got all your targeted ads ready for you, ready to go. Yeah. Uh, you, you, but yeah. hey, hey, one of those clicks actually led to some great stuff. So, <laughs> it did, right? Uh, hey, it worked out for all of us, frankly. Let's just be fair. Uh, but again, thank you so, so much for being on the show. I hope you had a great time. It has been an absolute pleasure and a joy to just hang out and talk with you. So I'm, I'm glad you asked and uh, ask again and I'll say yes. I like to hear that. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, again, for myself here uh, and uh, from our sponsors at Red Riot Games, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, don't forget, you're not losing if you're learning, friends. So shuffle up the cards, play games. You might win. Who knows? Uh, for myself here and everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in. Be well. Adios.